swimmers, and welcome to another episode of Torpedo Swim Talk podcast. I'm your host, Danielle Sperling, and each week we chat to a swimmer from around the world about their swimming journey. Today's guest on the podcast is Sabrina Houston, who hails from San Diego, California, where she spent her life in and around the water. First in the pool, then in Ironman triathlons, and now as a marathon swimmer, who's completed two-thirds of the Triple Crown. We spoke to Sabrina as she prepares for completing the California Open Water Triple Crown and as she juggles motherhood eight weeks in. Hi, Sabrina. Thanks for joining us on the podcast today. Hello. Hi. Where are you based in the US? Uh, San Diego, California. Right. And did you grow up there or move there later in life? I did, yeah. I was born and raised uh, right on the ocean in Oceanside, which is about 45 minutes north of San Diego. Beautiful. And did you get a swim in today or yesterday? Um, I swam on Sunday and then I was going to swim this morning, um, but I have an eight-week-old and it was just not in the cards this morning. He was uh, he was needing some food. So I'm going to swim tomorrow with my master's program. Yeah. Fantastic. My gosh, I can't believe you're back in the water after eight, eight week, an eight week year old. I mean, I mean, that that's that's amazing. How was that whole journey? Uh, yeah, being pregnant and um, having him and everything. It was such a life change. I can't. The human body is incredible. I knew that before through athletics, but then really going through the journey of being pregnant and having him and kind of the postpartum, um, which is a whole different ball game that. Um, women are uh, lucky enough to go through. Uh, but yeah, no, it was great. I swam all the way up until the day I had him. So we were, we were in the water constantly. He did, we did a couple 10 Ks together and we were, yeah, we were in and out of the pool and the ocean throughout the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. Same with me when I had my first, that was many years ago, but I swam on the, yeah, right up until the day that I had her as well. But I was so stubborn in my swimming at the time. And I actually very late in my term did a tumble turn and oh, yeah. really pulled all my stomach muscles. So soon after that, it was touch turns, but it was such a relief yeah. to swim. You just yes. feel so heavy everywhere else, don't you? Yes. It was like, I, it was the only time I felt normal was kind of when I was in the water, I felt like kind of a, a sliver of my old self. <laughs> yes, I know. Well, I mean, kudos to you for being back in the water and, and training. That's fantastic. Go, take us back to the very start of your swimming at sort of what age were you introduced to the water and how did that all come about? Yeah, I've always been a water baby. My dad was uh, like a surfer, grew up in the water, really like body surfing. So he introduced me to the ocean uh, very young. And then we had a pool at home. And so I was always in the waters as a kid, really just as fun. Um, and then started, you know, did club swimming when I was little, but wasn't really forced into it as far as, you know, some of the kids nowadays are in the pool four hours a day when they're 10 years old. That that was never me. Um, and I really started to ramp up in high school. Um, did all four years like collegiate or all four years varsity for swimming um, and then ended up doing triathlon in college. I was a little burnt out of just pool swimming. I was a sprinter, which is now very funny since I do channel swims. Yes. Um, but I was really tired of just chasing the fractions of a second, um, spending all season on that. And then I, so I was a little burnt out of just staring at the black line. So I really 
wanted something different in college and triathlon kind of seemed like the perfect idea of it. I could still swim five days a week. We were swimming, you know, maybe a 1K is kind of what the race would come out to be. And then I got to swim, I got to run and bike. And the team atmosphere was very unique uh, as far as points are concerned for triathlon. So I was like very pulled towards that. So I kind of ended up naturally drifting to a triathlon for, uh, for four years in college. So did you enter um, college as uh, on the swimming team and then move across to try? No, I, so UC Davis is where I did my undergrad at and they had a, a big swim program, very, very quick times. I would have been, I might've been able to get on, but I would have been kind of a practice swimmer, uh, maybe an alternate for a relay. And I really didn't want that to be my college experience. I wanted to be more of an athlete and compete and enjoy kind of that atmosphere. Um, so that's when I joined the triathlon team, which is where I found that. Um, but yeah, I didn't really, I, I got a couple of offers for swimming, but they weren't where I wanted to go for academics. Um, I was really into veterinary medicine at the time. And so UC Davis had one of the top programs in the in the world. And so I was like, I'm going to go there for academics. And then kind of swimming was just a, a kind of set to the side. So, so how does triathlon work in college in America? Um, what distance does, what distance do you sort of compete at? Yeah. So we typically do sprint triathlons and Olympic triathlons. Olympic triathlons are uh, typically the championships. So like the collegiate nationals or kind of later on the season, most of them are sprint triathlons, which is roughly a 500 uh, yard swim or 500 meter swim, and then like a, a t 10 mile bike and a 5k run. So pretty quick, pretty fast. Um, and then you get a little bit longer as the season goes on. Uh, but they take roughly like an hour, hour and a half. So they're fast. And with your background in swimming, had you had much exposure to, to cycling and running at that point? I dabbled in it a little bit, just like being from Southern California, people are pretty active year round. So I had like you know, run a couple of 5Ks and maybe ridden my bike a little bit. But I did one try before college and I was like very intrigued by it. And I was like, okay, this might be something that I uh, am enjoying. I, I'm looking forward to it. I'm not dreading the workouts. Like I was kind of getting to the point with swimming. Um, so I was like, you know, what? this might be a really good avenue to keep me in shape, meet, uh, you know, new people, be at a new uh, college. So I kind of was like using it for a lot of different springboards. Yeah. And which, which of the two legs were, was your weakest that you had to work on the most? Running. And I think that's very typical for swimming is if you're a swimmer, you're traditionally not a runner. You can normally pick up cycling um, just based on, you know, strength and endurance, things like that. But running was definitely a hard, hard for me. And I had to put in a lot of work to, to even get up to a level to where I could compete with without just getting, really uh taken advantage of on the run portion of these tries <laughs> yes. yeah i mean because you would have had the endurance backing you up with the running but it's the technique side of things isn't it yeah and they're fast i mean girls are coming off of the run and they're coming off the bike and they're running almost as fast as they are just going out and running a street 5k um and that was just was was hard because i could i could get in front of them in the swim and then the bike we could kind of uh be together but then on that run they just put the pedal to the metal and it's really such a big distance for running um you know it's still going to take somebody 20 minutes where the swim might take you 10 minutes so you're really at a disadvantage being a swimmer uh if you come into the world of triathlon 
Yes. Yeah, I, I follow closely Lucy Charles Barclay. I'm a big fan of hers and I'm coming from that swimming, swimming background as well. And I, I noticed that at Kona this year, she had really, or late last year, she'd really worked a lot on her running after that um, stress fracture that she had. So that was before that, I feel like her running was a little bit, looked like a swimmer. Yes. Yeah. You should run with your shoulders. You can always tell yeah. the swimmers. You're like, oh, that's a swimmer. That's like a swimmer. they're, you know, they just look a little bit different. Like they're not meant to be out of the water. We're really not. We're better no. in the water. Yeah. No. There was, there was a, a big um, open water swim uh, here in Victoria on the weekend. And um, what, a girl that I know that's a very good swimmer had this great quote. She said she swam like a fish. And then at the end, there's a run up the beach. And she said she ran like a fish as well. Yeah. And I thought that was very pertinent to how I feel when I get out and run up the beach in one of those ocean races because I can't do it at all. Right, right. You're just hoping the finish. You're like, can they move the finish line a little yeah. bit closer? The the 200 yards from the beach exit to the finish line is the worst 200 in the entire absolutely, race. Absolutely, absolutely. And yeah. often the tide will go out even further. So it's, you know, some people will run 200 and some people will run three or 400. So, yeah. yes. But but onto that, those triathlons obviously gave you a love of that. And then you were, yeah. you went in an Ironman triathlon. So tell us a little bit about that. What was your first experience with Ironman like? Yeah, I... Um fell in love with triathlon in college, but I never was, I just could not get the speed of the collegiate triathlon. They were just, they were really fast, but what I did have was the endurance. So although they could be faster than me, they couldn't go as long as me. So I really started taking, um, notice in the 70.3 distance and really had my eye on the Ironman distance because people were just either burned themselves out. They just wouldn't pace correctly. Um, or they just mentally couldn't handle being, you know, racing for that long where that was really my strength was kind of the mental side of it. Uh, and that's when I started to think like, you know, maybe I can give this a shot, um, do some 70.3s, do an Ironman qualify for Kona was like always the goal. Um, and so I really gave it like a good two year block where I was like, I'm going to try to qualify for Kona. If it happens, great. Uh, if it doesn't happen, then we'll shift and do something else, but I really want to give it a go. Uh, and that's when I did my first Ironman in, uh, Ironman uh, Los Cabos in 2015 and won my age group, uh, which then got me the qualifying spot to Kona. So then we uh, were like, okay, this is this is actually happening. I'm going to end up doing another triath, like another Ironman, but um, was really was really excited, really relieved. I had a pretty good day out there, all things considering things are going to go wrong when you race for, you know, 12, 13 hours. You just kind of have to take it by storm and uh, just keep your head in the game and hope that it kind of all shakes out. Yeah. I mean, congratulations on getting a spot at Kona because I know that, that they're very prized. How do you mentally prepare for a race that big and that prestigious? Yeah. Kona was, I really felt uh, like a little kid going to Kona because I'd only raced one other Ironman and everyone else was really, um, they had a lot of the belt. They had trained for a long time. They knew what they were doing. And I kind of just felt like a little kid out there, like, this is my second one. I hope I, you know, get my nutrition well. Um, I hope I didn't just have a one day good fluke. And then I'm going to go out there and have a really bad Kona. Um, but the course, uh, I'm pretty good at racing in hot courses. Cabo was really hot. So I knew my nutrition was uh, on point. I had some ups and downs in Cabo. So I knew that I could get through the downs. Uh, you just have to give it enough time. You know, there's might be a hill, there might be a valley, but you just kind of keep going. Um, so I trained for Kona, uh, a lot of prep 
like in a tiny little closet at my work with the heater on to practice uh, how hot it was going to be because that's what everyone always talks about. I knew the swim was going to be fine. No wetsuit, open ocean. Like that's a strength of mine. So I wasn't worried there. I knew the bike was going to be hot. Um, knew I was going to get sunburnt. And uh, I just knew the run. I just had to just keep moving forward no matter how slow it was. If I walked, I ended up walking. If I ran, I ended up running. Um, but I just had to keep moving forward. And I knew that I would I would eventually get to the finish line if, if everything was turned out okay. How do you, I mean, how do you keep your mind in a positive sort of frame of mind, I suppose, when you're going across those volcanic flats where there's nothing, there's just the wind blowing across at Kona and it's just so desolate. I mean, how do you keep, how, how does the self-talk sort of step in? Yeah, kind of the, the mantras, you know, you're just like, you know, just one pedal stroke at a time, just get to the, just get to the next hotel. Okay. Get to that light post over there. Okay. For the next five minutes, I'm going to focus on this. Okay. I'm going to think about this. Um, you really just kind of try to keep your mind uh, preoccupied, but I also really like the space of kind of meditation that you fall into kind of the flow. Um, I really started to realize that space in the longer distance um, races, Ironmans, channel swims, where you kind of hit that meditation flow that I'm really, um, I just feel really at peace with that. I feel like I can go for a long time. My body's almost on autopilot and my mind's kind of just like really soaking it in and enjoying the space that, that it's in. Uh, but you just break it into smaller chunks. So it's not a 112 mile bike. Um, it's 12 miles, however many times over. Uh, you just keep playing with yourself on that way. You know, okay, I'm going to now focus on this. Okay, I have to eat pretty soon. Uh, you know, look around, try to admire the beauty while you're uh, just roasting alive because it's so, so hot out there. <laughs> um, but yeah, you just break it into smaller pieces. And did you have someone out there helping you with your nutrition at the drink stops along the way? Or did you carry gel in you, on you or how did that work? Yeah, you have to, yeah, you have to be completely self-sufficient. So they give you things at the aid station. So you have, um, you know, the assortment of things They have like gels and Gatorades and water and things like that. Um, I carried all my nutrition because I knew that it worked for me. Um, the only thing I took at aid stations was water. Um, but I knew like, okay, here's my nutrition plan. It was all dialed out. And then I had a couple of, you know, oh, if I start cramping, I'm going to take this. Oh, if I feel dehydrated, I'm going to take this. Um, but I really had it all pretty much dialed in going into the race. And I wanted to stick to that because you get off that and then you start having GI upset. And now your day can look like it's spiraling out of control very quickly. So yeah, I had my nutrition dialed and I was not going to divert from that. What did you learn about yourself doing that race? Um, I don't count yourself out because I came off the bike. I was pretty sunburned. I looked at my husband and I was like, please don't ever let me do this again. Um, I'm so hot and miserable and my skin by that point had, um, blistered and I had like, um, skin bubbles all over just from the, it's just so hot there. Um, and I was just like, I can't imagine running a marathon right now. I'm, I'm just tired but I was like you know I just gotta like start this it's a new sport which is kind of nice about triathlon it's not hours and hours of the same thing you know okay I did a switch sports which kind of mentally flips you um and the ones I started running I was like well every mile that I run or every kilometer that's done I don't have to do it again I'm closer to the finish line um and as the day started getting uh more towards sunset it kind of starts to not 
cool off necessarily, but you don't have that sun beating down on you. So mentally, I was kind of getting stronger as the day was going on because I was like, okay, what's really been giving you problems is the sun and the heat. So now that that's kind of going to be eliminated, um, I'm going to feel good once it's the sun kind of goes down and I can just do my thing and keep keep running to the pace that I want to. And I felt good. I didn't feel like I had any injuries or anything. So I was just like, as long as I keep moving forward and taking in nutrition and everything like that, I'll start to get there. And then you start to believe that you're actually going to finish. You don't let yourself believe it until you're, for me, at least a 5k out where I was like, okay, I could walk this whole thing and I'm still going to make the cutoff. So that feels pretty good. I'm going to get to the finish line. And that kind of gives you that second wind. And you're like, wow, this is, this is really going to happen. I'm going to see the finish line, which I've been hoping for, for, you know, by that point I've been training for two years. So I was like, I get to finally see it. I'm here. It doesn't, it almost doesn't feel real. Yeah, I bet. Have you got one of those great photos coming through you under the arch at Kona? Yeah. 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 Like, yeah. And I think I just had my hands up by my face. Like I couldn't even believe it when I was running down Polani. I asked somebody like, is this Polani? Because I just almost didn't believe that I had made it back. And they're like, yeah, just go down and then you're going to hit a Lee and then that's it. And I, remember turning right on Ali and uh, I was like, wow, this is like, this is it. This is the moment that you've wanted for so long and the lights and everyone there. And you're just honestly, in just like disbelief. And I figured that was going to be my only Kona experience. I knew like, okay, this is probably, I'm not going to come back for a while. I was by that point kind of wanted a little bit of a break. And so I was just like, yeah, you know, soak it all in. And uh, everyone there, at least the age groupers, they're not really you know, sprinting down the finish line, everyone wants kind of their finish line moment. So you almost are like jockeying, like, no, it's okay. You go, I'll go behind you. Okay. So everyone kind of gets their own like seconds to, to themselves, which is kind of like, I guess an unwritten special rule. So that was fun to kind of have going down the finishing shoot with, you know, all everyone screaming and the lights and it's a very special moment. Yeah, it sounds great. I mean, it looks great on TV. I can only imagine the, um, the thrill that you must have going through that. You mentioned that you took a break after that, but you didn't really take a break. You sort of pivoted towards distance swimming. So you have done part of the Triple Crown with Catalina and the 20 Bridges and you attempted the English Channel. Tell us a little bit about that journey. Why did you get involved in distance swimming after being a sprinter in college? Yeah, I, um, I triathlon and Ironman was great. I had race Kona, I did one more Ironman distance after, and I was just kind of looking for a little bit of a change for training. I was a little burnt out. By that point, I had done triathlon for a decade and I was just ready for kind of something different. I was really craving being really good at something again, because triathlon, you're always trying to improve the three sports. And I was just like, I wonder if I put this much mental energy and time into something, how good can I actually get at swimming? Um, which is when I set my sights on Catalina and I'd been doing open water swimming in college a little bit more dabbled with distance, did like trans Tahoe. So across Tahoe for fun as a, like a college group. And I was like, you know, if I can do that, maybe I can do something a little bit bigger. Um, and really set my sights on Catalina. Uh, and you know, everyone's like, oh, this is such a big undertaking. And I, I think I just went into it kind of like I did Ironman, like, oh, I think I can do it. I'm a good swimmer. I done Ironman before. And I mean, it's a totally different beast, um, channel swimming, but I think just being, you know, growing up here in the water, I just kind of had this like confidence about it. And I was like, no, I just need a shot. I just think I can do it. Um, and then it was, by far the hardest thing I've ever done is, uh, was Catalina. I just had a 
a really rough day. Um, but then by that point I completed, uh, Catalina was like, Oh, I, you know, let me do 20 bridges. And then the English channel was always kind of in the distance as like the big behemoth. Um, and I really had reservations going into it because I knew how volatile the water can be. Um, it's about a three-year wait list. There's by this point, COVID, we were in COVID. So it was like, this might not even happen. They might stop doing the English channel altogether. I mean, there was so much going about and unknowns. Um, and I was like, gosh, do I really want to go through with that? The heartbreak that some people train for years and then they go out there and they don't get to swim because the water is not good. And I was just like, can I handle that heartbreak? You know, am, am I ready to have a failure that big? Because it's a very real possibility. Um, and at the end of the day, I did go out there and end up getting caught in a storm and had to be pulled. And it was devastating. Um, but I think my takeaway point from the English Channel was I started that race knowing there was a chance that I DNF'd, but I was still brave enough to start it, which in this beginning of the journey, I was not brave enough to do. So I was very proud of myself for qualifying for the English Channel. So doing the six hour swim and what was that 58 degree water, no wetsuit training, did that, you know, went out there, had my swim delayed a couple of days just due to weather. And we, we knew it was going to be a possibility that we got caught in a storm and it was one of those, do you not want to swim or do you want to take your chance? And I was like, I'd rather take my chance out there and at least give it a shot. Um, but yeah, so that was kind of my triple crown. So I have two of the three and it's definitely still on there. Um, if I want to go back and do it, I think I just uh, have some other site, my sights on some other uh, challenges that I want to do and, and go back and do it in due time. Yeah, I mean, there's still time to go back and do it. Plenty of time. You're young. <laughs> the Everyone told me, like, the channel's not going ever, anywhere. Um, and people are very, the sport of um, marathon swimming is very uh, open and understanding to conditions and um, you know, they're not like, oh, you quit, you're a bad swimmer, you couldn't do it. I mean, they really get that sometimes you're out there and it's dangerous and they have to get you out of the water. Um, it doesn't help the heart. You're still heartbroken by it. But you also realize like it's a little bit of an understanding that sometimes no matter how much you want to swim that swim, it, it's not going to happen on that day. And it it is what it is. And you just have to pack up your stuff and go home. So. Look, I think it's a very supportive community, that open water swimming community, particularly the channel swimming community. And next time you go back, I'm sure that you'll blitz it through. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> you mentioned that Catalina was such a tough swim with the, the conditions. So was there a, a lot of, did you have seasickness? What, what was the difficulty that you had with that swim? Yeah, we knew it was going to be rough water going out there. Everyone on my boat was sick <laughs> except one person. Um, so we're going out there. It's about a two hour boat ride. Everyone's off the sides puking. Um, I'm so sick, uh, like shaking, puking, um, water is just really rough going out there. Uh, we ended up delaying my start about 20 minutes because I was just, they were like, let's just let you settle a little bit. Cause I was just like, just so, so sick. I was like, I don't know how I'm going to swim a 500 yards, let alone 22 miles right now. Um, but once the once the boat stopped and we got to Catalina, the water was a little bit nicer over there. So we were like, you know, let's just 
give it a little bit of time and uh we we think that we can we can give it a shot but the first two hours i mean were really rough those conditions were um about what the conditions were for the english channel when we ended up calling it but the only saving grace of that was they were like the water's gonna get better um so we just have to get through this section that we're in that's really rough before it gets better um but it was just a tough swim from the beginning. Those first two hours, really rough. You start at like, you know, 11 o'clock at night, 10 o'clock at night. Um, I was having trouble keeping my nutrition down at that point. And once you kind of get seasick, it's really hard to get better. Um, so I just kind of was borderline seasick the whole time. Um, and just really had to dig deep. Once I got about halfway, the, the tide also was kind of pushing me back a little bit. Um, we started getting into a new tide. And so I started having a neutral current, which felt better. I felt faster. So then I started to, the water started to calm down. I felt a little bit better by this time it was morning time. Uh, so the sun was not necessarily out, but it was lighter. So I was like, okay, you know, I've, by this point I was 13 miles in 14 miles in. I was like, okay, you know, I have some, some the background now so I can settle in and, uh, enjoy myself and try to, you know, con continue forward, um, on this, this swim, but yeah, it was just a, a very hard day from beginning to end. Um, and I was just at my threshold for tolerance the whole time battling seasickness, which then make me felt, I felt cold, um, which I knew I like shouldn't have felt cold, but I just felt really cold because I just felt sick. Um, and I, we were caught in a fog bank for the last like four or five hours. So I couldn't see the shore, couldn't see my progress. So I was kind of starting to doubt, like, are we going in a straight line? I feel like I'm going left. I feel like I'm hooking left. No, we're going straight. We promise just keep swimming. You're, you know, a couple hours out. I'm like, okay, I don't feel like I'm out. Are you sure? I can't tell. Um, and I couldn't see shore until I was about a thousand meters. And they're like, you like that shore. I could hear cars driving on the road, but I couldn't see the shore. That's how foggy it was. <laughs> so a real, a real test of mental when I just kind of felt like I was in this weird time space equilibrium where I couldn't tell what distance I'd gone or time, or I was just caught in this kind of continuum of a, of this cycle that I was in. And I mean, that's a, that's a really amazing feat because you started in the dark. So swimming in the dark alone has so many <laughs> scary parts to it, I think. And then having a little bit of a reprieve and then ending up in the fog. I mean, how do you, how do you swim in the dark? Is there a light on the boat on your head? How do you cope with all that? The, you have lights on, uh, on you so the boat and the kayak can see you um, and then the boat has lights but they dim their lights so you're not um, looking at it and then the kayak has lights too so it's very dark you space-wise have trouble seeing the night sky and where the ocean starts because it's so dark so you're kind of almost flying blind a little bit when your hand enters the water you're not really sure you're like uh okay there's the water because you really can't see it it's so dark um, and that's kind of a unique feeling because you use, at least for me, I have like visual kind of clues on like, okay, how is my pole going? Okay. I feel like I'm rotating enough, but really you just feel like you're caught in a black, black, um, room and you're just swimming into oblivion for hours on end. Um, but yeah, there's a little bit of light on, um, the, the boat and a little bit on the, the kayak, but nothing to like illuminate. You can't see anything. It's just very, very dark. Wow. 
And what was the 20 Bridges swim like in Manhattan? Did you enjoy that swim? I, I did. That was a crazy swim also because of COVID. So they, I had registered for that event and it was going to be, you know, 16 people, the traditional 20 bridges. I was like, oh, it's going to be so fun to swim with people. Um, I was really looking forward to it. It was going to be in like July uh, and then COVID happens and the world just shuts down uh, and they, and they canceled the season and I'm like, wow. Okay. Uh, by that point I had uh, English channel on the docket for 2021. And I was like, man, I really don't want the English channel to be my second big swim, like a little bit more practice on that, but that's okay. Um, and we couldn't even swim here. All, everything was closed. Beaches were closed. Pools were closed. So I was kind of swimming on my erg, um, just trying to kind of mentally stay sane because everything was closed. Uh, and then they reached out to me, uh, Oh gosh, when was that in June? And they were like, would you have any uh, interest in swimming uh, in August? It was eight weeks away. I was like, whoa, that's going to be a hard go to get up to that kind of uh, pace in eight weeks. But uh, yeah, I want to try it. Um, so I did. And I went into it fairly undertrained because I knew I was never going to be at my peak uh, fitness, just given that amount of time. So I was like, well, let's just see what we can put together. Um, and ended up having a really good day. I think just because I wanted to swim so bad and just the, there was no pressure on it. It was just me and one other girl out there that day. We could only be in New York for 72 hours. So we flew in, um, we were there, we were allowed to spend the night that night. Uh, and I think I swam the next day and then we flew out the the day after, um, I mean, New York was completely shut down. So it was a, a different feeling of kind of the 20 bridges that I was planning on having, but I'd never been to New York before. So going and seeing uh, Yankee Stadium and all of these buildings was so surreal um, that I was just so happy out there um, and really just swam, swam happy and had like a really good day. My time was uh, faster than I expected, which I you know, was not going into it thinking, uh, and I didn't have any like pain or anything like that. And it was, uh, it was just a good day. Everything kind of came together, which you don't get very many of those with distance events. So I was very happy with that one. How did you get ready in eight weeks? Like, what did you do with your training to, to get ready to swim that swim? I had a pretty good base. I was already swimming. Like, uh, my long swims were like 10 K. So I had an okay base going. Um, but I just kind of ramped up. I think my longest swim, I was, I was swimming uh, five days a week with my long swims on the weekends. I think the longest swim I did was like six hours leading into it. Um, and I projected myself at like eight and a half hours. I ended up swimming at like seven and a half hours. Um, but I just kind of like ramped up safely and just kept my, my weekly yardage fairly low. Um, and then my weekends, I would just add the time uh, each, each uh, week, an hour at a time. Um, knowing that I would rather go in under train than over train, because that was really what was going to count me out was if I had an injury. Um, and I did, uh, like strength work and yoga and I was getting a massage every week because I was just trying to, to load up as quickly as possible while doing it safely. Um, and recovery was, uh, I could do a lot of recovery because my work life had, pretty much gone to a halt. So all mass events were, were done. And so it wasn't like I was working a ton. So I could really focus on almost pr pretending to be a professional athlete for <laughs> eight weeks and kind of seeing what I could do. And it was, it was pretty fun. Yeah. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Do you, do you do a mixture of pool and ocean open water swimming when you're training for something like that? Yeah, I do typically five swims a week, five or six swims a week. Um, during the week, I do mostly pool swims because it's just easier. I swim traditionally like 6 to 7 a.m., 6 to 7.30, just because it works into the schedule. Um, and then the weekends is when I do kind of the big uh, time frame open, open ocean. Uh, makes it easier for training partners because you don't want to swim alone. So um, it's hard to coordinate with people before work getting to the open ocean. Sometimes we do it. Sometimes we do like a, a midweek, like a Tuesday, Thursday, one hour swim in the open ocean. Um, but sometimes that's hard to coordinate with, you know, getting to work on time and being there when the, when the sun is rising, because, you know, it's dark in the, you know, winter, spring time, summer's okay. But um, yeah. So I do a lot of a, a pretty good mix, I'd say. Do you do your training swims in the open water in a wetsuit? No, no wetsuit. Um, the water here is the coldest it gets is maybe like 54. So it's it's doesn't get so cold to where you're like, oh, I can't swim at all. Um, and the more I swim, the more adapted I was getting. And so for me, it was really a confidence boost to be able to swim four, five, six hours when it was 57 uh, degrees out, or I think that's like 17 Celsius. It's around about 17. Yeah. So, which is, um, which is fine to swimming. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Without a wetsuit. Right. You, you get used to it. And in the beginning you're like, uh, but it's not to a point of, it's not like some people that are swimming in the snow where you're like, you're going to be able to swim for a couple minutes, which is great, but it's not going to be like the swim that I want to get. I want to get in a 4k or 5k or, you know, that type of volume. So when you're doing a 6K swim on the weekends with your longer swim, do you structure that as just a swim for six hours or do you do sort of like interval blocks? How does that work within the training session? Depends on what the week's focus is. Usually it's just like, um, okay, I'm going to go out and do a practice uh, like marathon swim. So I'm going to try to keep the pace I want to for my marathon, um, maybe ramping up the last hour to go a little bit faster if I have it in the tank. Uh, but traditionally it's like, okay, we're going to go for six hours and every 30 minutes we're going to fuel. Um, and then we're just going to try to keep a very consistent pace throughout, throughout that block. Yeah, that's really interesting. I'm always intrigued to know. I spoke to, um, an athlete maybe last early last year, and he was telling me that what he did was, 10 1k swims that was his training session and he did it in the pool and he did it in the open water that's how he trained for those longer distance swims so it's really it's really interesting to hear how different athletes approach that so you have some big distance goals for this year coming up 2023 distance goals a, a different kind of triple crown tell us a little bit about that yeah so this year um i have my sights on the california triple crown which mm -hmm. is uh, catalina channel uh, Anna Kappa, um, Island Swim, and then Length of Tahoe. Uh, so they're all based in California, which is really special to me because I was born and raised here. Um, so that's, that's really special. And we're also, um, I'm doing it tandem with my training partner, Joe. So Joe and I have swam um, for years together now, and he just did Catalina last year. Um, so we both agree. We were like, let's do it tandem together. That sounds really fun. So we each swam it solo, but together. Um, so we're going to do that uh, this year in August is both of our swims. Um, and then we had a third training partner, uh, Mary Knott, who we unfortunately lost in 2021. 
Um, and so she was training for the triple crown. So Joe and I were like, let's do it, uh, in her memory because we know she was a super badass swimmer. So we are like, we know she could definitely do this. Uh, and we want to do it in honor of her and, um, just kind of, you know, like remembering her and, and all of, uh, the cool things that she accomplished in her lifetime. That's a really nice tribute to have that as sort of a, a background to what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. Are you, did, are you doing all three of the swims in August? I've already done Catalina. So Catalina 2019 and then Anacapa, um, which is an island based out of um, off the coast of Santa Barbara. And that one is 12 miles. So you swim island to uh, Oxnard, which is uh, this little city there. Uh, and then length of Tahoe, August 16th. So that that one is about 21 miles. So we're going to use Anacapa to kind of train for Tahoe. We're going to just kind of train through Anacapa and use it as a really good training day, knowing that the the peak focus of the season is the length of Tahoe because that is the longest distance one. So in your training leading up to Tahoe, what? how far will you typically swim in a week? Like what distance? Or- um, I usually hit about 50K is usually my peak. Um, and I usually try to do that two and a half to three weeks out, just depending upon how, how training feels, how I feel. Um, I always know that there's buffering time in for sickness. Like you're bound to get sick in a season. So you kind of, sometimes I feel like I'm a little bit too far ahead in season or a little bit behind, but then I just, I'm always like, Oh, I just kind of have a week or so buffer, um, for like inevitably when I get sick or if I'm feeling a little burnt out and I just need to press reset and be like, you know what, I need to take this week kind of off. Um, so I mentally feel a little bit better and my body feels a little bit better. Um, so I try to just kind of buffer in those emergency weeks, uh, leading into it. It also just takes the pressure off me a little bit. I'm not like, Oh, I have to do it this right now or else I'm going to throw off my whole training plan. I know that I have a little bit of a, uh, a break of time if I, if I need to take it. Yeah, no, it's good to have flexibility because you never know what life's going to throw at you. And obviously with the baby too, exactly. that changes things a little bit, doesn't it? <laughs> it does, yeah. Yeah, but I I think if you take all the marathon swimmers um, in this community and you go um, people who swim a lot of yards versus people who swim on the lower end, I'm definitely on the lower end. Um, I really would rather do less yard swimming and do yoga and strength training and PT work and massage um, and really focus on that versus getting in the pool two times a day or swimming 10K a day. I just know my body does better with the cross training fitness uh, type of outlook versus just traditional like, okay, you're going to swim 70K this week. Um, For me, that just leads to burnout and I'm my body can do it. It's just not happy doing it. So I don't it's like, why make it do it if I don't respond the best to that type of training? Yeah. I think you're listening to your body and that's what we all need to do. Definitely. Yeah. How, yeah. how many times do you structure in strength and yoga each week? I do yoga twice a week and I do strength twice a week. And you have, yep. do you have a PT set your or strength and conditioning coach set your strength programs or do you do them yourself? Um, I did during Catalina and I've just used her program throughout my other swims. So she kind of, um, uh, she wrote me a program as far as like, this is what you should be doing, uh, you know, throughout the time. And then now I just kind of repeat that. And it's really just 
focusing on, um, you know, the tinier muscles that you don't necessarily use when swimming, but are very important to your swimming muscles. Um, so strengthening those, making sure the rotator cup is good, making sure I'm not getting, um, you know, an abnormal pull on one side because naturally you're stronger on one side. So just making sure that I feel really balanced, making sure my back is good. My abs are, you know, in line, um, because that really comes into play when you get tired and your form starts to go, that's when you really lead to injuries. So yeah. yeah, I follow that plan. Uh, and then I do hot yoga. I love hot yoga. Um, I think it's a really good workout. It's good on the mental strength because you're uncomfortable the whole time with heat, uh, versus like normally in the water, you're uncomfortable with cold. Um, but I like that. I like the social aspect. I usually go with friends. So that like makes it a little bit more fun, something to look forward to. But yeah, I usually do that yoga about twice a week as well. It's interesting how many swimmers I've spoken to recently who've all been proponents of yoga. I think everyone needs to get that in their program. Or yoga, Pilates, flexibility, stretching, similar types of things. But I think there's a lot of people that you write, get in the water twice a day and swim, swim, swim. And those other things are super important. Yeah, exactly. And I think being flexible, keeping uh, those muscles moving in different directions, swimming is very repetitive. And so continuous movement in that direction without, uh, you know, making sure those muscles are moving in other directions and being forced to, um, you know, do other things rather than just the swimming motion is, is very, very important. Yes. Yeah, I agree. I, I like to do Pilates and I always find the exercises that move away from the midline because I'm generally freestyle backstroke. I don't do breaststroke. Um, and I just find them just such a relief, but I'm also much weaker in those kind of adductor, adductor sort of movements. So definitely something to include in your program. Yes. Yeah. Mentally, as well as physically, just help make you a more well-rounded swimmer, which I tell mm. um, my master, because I coach a master's program and I tell them whenever they're like, I don't want to do backstroke. I don't want to do breaststroke. I'm like, it makes you a more well-rounded swimmer. Like, it's okay. You're not, you don't have to be good at it, but it builds those muscles. You're weak at them. So let's work on them. You know, same with people are like, I don't like to kick. I'm so bad at kicking. And it's like, maybe that's, you know, you're being told that you need to kick. <laughs> if you're bad at it, you should probably work on it. That's what the off season is for. So let's work on it. And it's, it's so yeah. funny how people really like push away from things that they're bad at. And it's like, that's how you get better. And you're going to get better at it if you focus on it. So. Yeah. I think especially as adults, you get into that sort of comfort zone and you don't like to be sort of pushed to do that. I, I know. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I'm glad I'm glad you mentioned the Masters team because I was going to ask you about that. So you're one of the founders of Oceanside Masters Swim Team. What made you um, start that swim team up? Yeah, we, um, my best friend Vanessa Boone uh, and then a, a girl that I went to, uh, gosh, elementary school with, Stephanie West, we were all talking one day um, about how Oceanside needs a official Masters program. We just had a beautiful pool built um, and the facility was finally there. And so we were kind of encouraging other coaches, hey, you should bring a master's program here. Hey, like you should put something together. And nobody, everyone was talking about doing it, but nobody was doing it. Um, and finally, we were just like, you know what, we'll just do it. If nobody, if nobody else wants to do it, like we were all three coaches and we were like, let's just do it. We're, we're going to do it. Um, so we went to the city, uh, like wrote a proposal. Uh, started the nonprofit Oceanside Masters um, 
and we were like, you know what, let's just like take, take it. Let's see where this goes. Um, let's see if we can, you know, if we have the, the bandwidth to do it in our personal lives, uh, if there's enough need for it and want for it in the community. Um, and, uh, at least we'll try to give it a go. And if it doesn't work, then we can be like, well, you know, we tried, but the community just didn't really want it. Um, but it really took off. So it was definitely a need, uh, of the community and it feels really good to kind of be able to give back to a community that's done so much to me. Um, and now I get to not only coach, uh, it, but I also get to enjoy it, uh, cause I swim it on the days that I'm not coaching. How many sessions does the club offer each week? So we are, it's just us three doing the coaching. So we just do Monday, Wednesday, Friday, 6 to 7 a.m. And I really hope in time we can expand it a little bit more. The pool doesn't have sessions that are available Tuesday, Thursday as of right now because we have long course. Um, so we're limited to Monday, Wednesday, Friday. But we have a pretty good team that shows up. Usually about 20 to 30 people come. Um, we have, you know, seven lanes paces all the way from one fifteen to two minute two fifteen. Uh, so like a really good group of people that come it's manageable for us. Uh, we always want to like expand in time and I think we will, but as of right now, like that's, uh, what we wanted to do throughout the first year was just build a consistent time and place, uh, and kind of build the community that is very welcoming. We don't, uh, you know, only allow you if you're a really good swimmer. We have people who their goal is to just swim a 300 in the whole practice. And we're like, great, come show up. We can't wait to see you. We can't wait to help you. Uh, we'll see you on the deck. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. I mean, that's the essence of master swimming, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, it's so huge, huge in America. Like you've got something like 60,000 plus people registered in master swimming. So it, it's just such a great culture. And obviously California is one of the places because of the weather where, you, and you've got a lot of pools as well. What, what do you personally like about master swimming? I love master swimming because it's the community aspect. So you get to meet new people, which I think is hard to do um, just as an adult that people don't really talk about. Like meeting new people is hard to do, um, especially with COVID and uh, everything being shut down and people going uh, like I work from home now or I have my own home office. Uh, so I don't just meet new people regularly. Uh, so it's nice to like meet people that have common goals with you that you can relate to. Uh, the workouts are really fun. They're not just, okay, I'm going to go and swim five, five hundreds on this time. And think, which is, has its place, those type of workouts, but it's nice to, uh, meet new people that you're going to swim with and lead a lane and learn how to read the clock and not have to think about the workout before you just show up. It's a good quality workout. You, you know, push yourself way past what you normally would because there's other people there and you're racing them. Um, so I really can't, uh, say enough good thing about masters. Cause I think it's a, a great workout. It's a wonderful community. It motivates you to get up out of bed, uh, and get your workout in before before you have to start your day. Yeah, absolutely. It really sets you up for a great day ahead for sure. It does, yeah. Yeah, yeah Sabrina, I like to finish every podcast with um, my deep dive five questions. So just give me the first answer that pops into your head. No pressure. Your favourite pool to swim at? Uh, Wagner Aquatic Centre. Okay, where's that based? Oceanside, California. Oh, that's the new pool that you were speaking about. Yes. Yep. So can that be um, long course, but can it be converted into short course meters and yards as well? Or is yards across the pool? Um, it can be meters. They can move the bulkhead um, mm -hmm. up for the meters. And then across is 25 yards. Yes. 
yeah, yeah. really good because we don't have yards yeah. in australia yes yeah, yeah. all meters yeah. all meters <laughs> favorite yeah. open water swimming location uh la jolla shores okay nice favorite open water goggles that you wear oh this is this is funny i always wear vanquishers pool and open ocean okay do you have any trouble with them fogging up in the ocean no, I've never had any trouble. And I know other people do, but no, I, I love them. Yeah, cool. Favorite freestyle training drill? Oh, um, probably catch-up drill. Yep. Very nice. And favorite freestyle training set? Oh, that's a good one. I love pyramids and ladders. That's how you know I, I've written a set. So anything that's like, you know, 200, 300, 400, 500, 400, 300, 200. Um, I love those type of kind of rhythmical sets. And is that just a pure straight swim freestyle? Uh, no, you'd stop. Sometimes I would break it up. I do like, um, you know, if it's a 400, I do like two 100s with, you know, a pull and or a focus or something like that. But I love mentally, it's very easy for me to be like, okay, I know the next one's a 500. Okay, the next one after that is a 400. Um, so I'm not constantly looking at like the board. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, it's good to break those up into little broken broken swims within the pyramid. Yeah, keeps you mentally focused, keeps you engaged. Um, I'm not out there just to swim like garbage uh, yards or garbage meters. I don't have time. So I have every time that I'm in the pool, I have to have a focus and be working towards something. Well, Sabrina, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Mm -hmm. It's been lovely meeting you and hearing about your swimming journey and best wishes for your uh, Lake Tahoe swim later in the year. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Oh, you're welcome. Okay, take care. Hey. Bye. Thank you, Mark. I hope you enjoyed my chat with Sabrina and picked up something from her journey to take into your own kit bag. Do you enjoy the podcast? Are you a regular listener or do you just drop in now and then depending on the guest or the topic? Whatever your experience, we'd love to hear your feedback. Leave us a review in the news section on our website at www.torpedoswimtalk.com. Till next time, happy swimming and bye for now.